We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Well, Brad, we're back again, and the Steelers are three and two. They said that a lot of these things wouldn't happen. They said, surely not a third week for this podcast. It can't be done, but that is indeed what we're doing. We're here to talk about the Steelers on the Yin's No Ball podcast for yet another week. I'm John Ledger. This is Brad Spielberger with me. And Brad, we get to talk about a Steelers win that felt like a loss for about 58 minutes of the game, <laughs> and they found a way like they have so often under Mike Tomlin. It's quite ugly, but it gets the job done. And so we get to talk about a W. It's truly remarkable. They're now, uh, they've had a negative net success rate in all five games they've played this year. Simply just meaning, you know, they, their success rate on a down-to-down basis versus the opponent. They've lost that all five games, uh, and they are three and two. Yeah, like you said, it was ugly, but you beat the Ravens. I don't care how ugly it is. That That's always a, a good victory Monday. And this is kind of how it's gone against the Ravens. Like they've won now six of seven against Baltimore. They during that time they have really not been the better team. I would say in any of those games, I would like I, I that I, I can't say can't say, think of every single one specifically, but generally speaking, they have not been the better team during that stretch either. Like during the stretch of these last seven games that they played the Ravens. It has not been the Steelers who are like the ones like vying for a Super Bowl during that time. It's been them trying to stay above water, and the Ravens have been in the playoff mix. Now they've had some injuries that's taken them out of them at certain times. And Lamar's only played, I think, three or four of those four of those games now. I think if I'm remembering right, but he has not played his best. Although he was unbelievable in this game, this was definitely the best he ever played against Pittsburgh. Um, and so it really has felt like. Uh, hexes over the Ravens when they play the Steelers. Like it's very hard to describe how these games go. Like I just every time we go into them, I think there's just no way. Like it just on paper it makes no sense. Then you watch the game and you're like, yeah, I was right. Like they're just worse. Like they're just worse in every facet. And then they somehow win. It just doesn't make any sense. It's crazy. Yeah, Lamar's won three, and then he's also missed like three, I think, games in the last couple of years, uh, which is also a break in and of itself, you know, getting Tyler Huntley or whoever as opposed to playing Lamar. Yeah, I mean, like, he was incredible in this game. And, and again, credit to the Pittsburgh Steelers defense. We'll get into it. And they made a lot of nice plays. They put him in a lot of the second and third and long that required him to throw downfield a bunch. And then his receivers, I mean, I tweeted out earlier, but – seven drops, which is the third most for us since 2017. Like, it was a historically bad performance by his receivers. But, you know, the Steelers, I think, were putting him in in disadvantageous positions to begin with, which, which certainly deserves credit. Good week for me to be playing against Mark Anders in fantasy football. <laughs> Six for 65, but he would have had three for over 100 if he hadn't had three drops in this game. 
Uh, the other rest of his receivers, seven combined drops. I think you just said that it was truly just a disastrous day for the Ravens wide receivers. Several of these were like down the field. How many were in the end zone? One was in the end zone. We had two in the end zone. One to Mark two Andrews. One to Rashad Bateman, which was like one of the worst. Oh right, drops back to back plays. Same drive. Yeah, same drive. Same, right? yes. Okay, so yeah. And then one was down the right sideline to Nelson Aguilar in his Aguilar. hands, like right in the bread basket. That could have been a uh, touchdown. For sure. And then we had another one, not the one where Zay fell over, but a different Zay bomb that also hit him in the hands. It was maybe more of a fringe drop. I would have called it a drop as well. Those are always kind of tough, nitpicky things, but I would have called it a drop. The Zay falling over his own feet was not credited as a drop. And like, I don't know. I I think some people have said they thought it was the the throw to the wrong shoulder. Maybe it turned Zay around. I thought he could have made the play. I didn't really know what he was trying to accomplish. Anyway, anyway, they, they, they definitely let him down, but Hey, I mean, who cares? <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's that's the thing. It's like always hard for us to know we're going into these. We don't want to be negative every week, but also it's like hard, especially on the offensive side, when it's just like so much is bad. And we're going to talk a lot of defense today, and tomorrow we'll get into some more of the performances maybe in the offense. But it's difficult to know kind of where to begin with this because you don't want to shortchange the fact that like they played a pretty bad football game and got incredibly lucky to win this game. Just think about the things that had to go right. Block punt, which I mean, you could say, oh, that's coaching. That's skill. That's part of the game that matters. I agree. Block punt for a safety. <laughs> that happens like once every two years. Like it just doesn't happen very often. Um, you had the gunner fumble. <laughs> yeah. On the yep. punt. That was recovered, but the guy couldn't get his footing. Like Seymour for the Ravens could not get his footing, and it allowed Roddy Williams, who is considerably slower than Kevin Seymour, to track him down and tackle him short of the goal line. It's a great effort play by Roddy Williams, but again, just a fluky thing. Then from the seven, they throw a pick. Obviously, great play by Joey Porter Jr. We're going to talk about him a good bit. The Joby hustle strip. Like they made plays for sure. But, like, overall, you look at this game and you're like, if they played 100 times, the Ravens would win 99. Like, that's just how this kind of game went. And, of course, you got the one in it, and it goes in the Steelers' favor. And, obviously, they took advantage of the set. You have to give the Steelers credit, I think, for not beating themselves to the degree that the Ravens did in this game. Like, that is something that, like, you're not doing self-inflicted mistakes, although there was lots of the same issues that we've seen over and over and over again with this team. You have to give them credit for like at least not having a lot of the same self-inflicted stuff we've seen uh, other teams commit. The, the Browns game was not that dissimilar, although this one was probably a step further, I think. Um, but it seems like that's kind of a low bar to start with like praising them. But we do have some things we want to focus on that are positive. But it is always an awkward situation to be in when you're analyzing a team after they win a game that they definitely should have lost by the process of it. And yet you have to talk about the fact they won anyway, and there have to be positives from that too. No, we're going to obviously balance it out. We're going to be realistic. You know, they need to improve to consistently win games. Like this style of game does not win you a lot of games over the course of a full season. But I do think one thing that stuck out to me, and we can jump into it a little bit, was on plays before the interception, for example, uh, before the fumble as well, there were little key performances or key plays by another player that put them in that position again. Like that kept sticking out to me. Like, I guess I'll just jump into it. Like the play before the Joey Porter Jr. interception, um, you had Quan Alexander was uh, tracking Justice Hill out of the backfield. He was following him on a pre-snap motion to the right. And the, the snap gets off. He's watching Hill, but he realizes that uh, Mark Andrews is kind of, he's lined up as an H-back and he starts leaking to the right. And it's clearly the classic shovel pass to the tight end. Every team in the NFL runs it. And Quan, there is an extra defender that he can just, you know, pass Hill off to, but he's clearly 
his responsibility. Quan just crashes, makes the tackle on Andrews. He would have had a walk-in touchdown. There was no other Steelers defender within five yards. So it's like <laughs> that, and that's how you get the interception. So there were there were a bunch of little plays like that where like shows up as a tackle for zero yard gain. But if he doesn't make that play, you know, we're not even talking about the interception because the, the play doesn't happen. I think all three steel linebackers played awesome in this game. And it kind of goes to what I've been saying this year. I've, I I know people will look at the one or two negative plays and we're all like, since the Shazier injury, basically the Steelers linebacking core has been pretty much a disaster every single year. Been pretty much the worst group in the league for years now. And so almost some Steelers fans have become conditioned to see like, oh, a negative play a linebacker where it's the same old team. They're missing a lot of positive plays. Like Cole Holcomb and Landon Roberts and Quan Alexander are such a better trio than anything the Steelers have had since the heydays of Shazier and Timmons. And you are really seeing that now, I think, on a regular basis. Like, yeah, week one was rough. Like, the San Francisco game was rough for all of them. Everybody's gotten better since then. And everybody's continuing to get better. Um, yes, there are limitations. Like, they are not paying for a Fred Warner or a Roquan Smith in this linebacker core. And I think we have to analyze that respectively. Like, there are only a couple great linebackers in the game today. And then there are a bunch of guys that you play. And you they fit most down-distance situations, most personnel situations. There's going to be some ways to attack them and expose them at times that you're susceptible to. And you have to, like, basically try and live with that as a defense, those limitations. That's an area the Steelers have not spent a ton of money on is is off-ball linebacker. And rightfully so, I think. They've found ways to patchwork this thing with three pretty good players who are all playing pretty good football right now. Not elite football, pretty good football. And they all made plays in this game. I mean, Landon Roberts was unbelievable against the run. Kel Holcomb continues to make plays in coverage. No, he is not going to be able to match up in man coverage with tight ends or running backs, things like that. Like there, there are going to be things that expose him. He's not that kind of athlete or that kind of instinctive player. But I do think when you ask him to play in zone coverage, he runs to the ball in every play. He may not get the tip, but he's going to try and punch the ball out. He's going to be scraping at the catch point, and he did that in this game and forced an incompletion. Just consistently quality play from Cole Holcomb across the board, I think, which is what you want. And same from Landon Roberts for what his role is. And then Quan Alexander gets in there, and he and Roberts kind of split time. And Alexander gets in there, and he's kind of like the splash play guy, right? Like he's flying through gaps. He's, you know, making plays out of the perimeter. He's got the most speed out of all those guys. He probably plays with the most energy. He could miss the most tackles, too. Like there's a little more downside with him. But I still think you're talking about three players that kind of have learned how to work really well together and play at a pretty good level, too, behind a defensive line that's pretty good. And so the Steelers are starting to build like a strength of the team and some things can derail it, but like, you're still starting to see like, okay, that the defensive line's a strength. The linebacking core is solid. Like we'll get to the secondary in a second. My goodness. But the, you're starting to see a little bit more cohesiveness, best performance of the season. I thought by the offensive line, we'll see if Broderick Jones has something to do with that. You know, and Herbig did play better as well. We're talking more about that probably tomorrow, but um yeah, they're starting to see like some strengths of the team. It's just it's it's a work in progress. So it's nice to be three and two while that's happening. But you could definitely see the the shape of things starting to form at least where they can have some strengths to rely on some some units that are a little bit more building blocks probably than the other ones. Yeah, I would say like at a high level, uh, look, the Steelers are the first in the NFL in 2023 cap spend on defensive line. There is no team in the NFL that is spending more cap dollars on defensive line. That includes, you know, TJ Watt and Alex Heisman as outside linebackers as edges, whatever. Um, and, and then obviously the trade-off is you don't spend that much on off-ball linebacker. But you look at the Philadelphia Eagles, 
literally do not care who their off-ball linebackers are. They don't draft it. They don't spend money on it. They do not care. And so it's like, I think it's a philosophy to a degree. So, you know, if you're a Steelers fan saying, like, why are we not spending there? I mean, I guess you did trade up to top 10, pick Devin Bush, not to reopen old wounds. But, like, it's it's a philosophy that works if your defensive line is that good. But the last point, this is such a cliche, but they're putting these guys in position to succeed, right? Like, they're, like they, they're asking them to do exactly what they're good at and not asking them to do what they're not very good at um, because all of them have strengths and all of them have, you know, clear weaknesses as well. That's the thing that I think is stands out to me the most is that like they are playing to their strengths pretty well. I feel like it's difficult with Landon Roberts because if you get the team that's like going to test him in coverage on early downs and things like that, there's really only so much you can do. And they don't really have like a like Holcomb's their every down guy. And so he's the guy to trust in most situations. Usually when they're going Tampa two and they need somebody to carry in the middle of the field, he's the guy doing that. And I think he's been just fine at that. Um, not going to be Fred Warner, but I think he's been just fine at it. Um, and been good as blitzers too. They've all been good as blitzers uh, this season, which is effective, especially in this defense. So just a lot of things to really like. I think they've been pretty clean players. I think they've been smart. Um, it's been a huge upgrade over what we've typically seen. And quietly, the Steelers have kind of figured out this uh, run defense thing too, which is encouraging. Like the week one, you're like, okay, what are we doing here? You know? And yeah, there's still like blown assignments continue to be like the thing that's probably most concerning to me. It has pretty much always been. Like under the steel under Tomlin, it's like there will be plays and games where like they just don't even line up right. And so they're misaligned and they just stay that way all game and they can't fix it. And those things are maddening. So I don't know that these issues are 100% fixed ever um, under this group, but I will say that so far this season, even in this game, like they blow the assignment on the, on the uh, option play at the beginning of the game, right? Lamar keeps the ball, takes off 26 yards, gets a big first down. That play was kind of most of Baltimore's rushing attack. I mean, there was a couple of good plays here and there for sure, and most of it comes because of missed tackles, I think. That's the thing that's been actually probably most frustrating about the season is that I actually think they've been in position to make plays quite frequently, but missed tackles in the backfield or overrunning things in the backfield or allowing um, back to bounce out the backside of a a concept because you didn't do your job, uh, specifically the corners. Um, Yeah, big concerns, and so – there are still issues. It's There's nothing about this team that's perfect other than I don't know how much more you could ask of their pass rush at this point, uh, yeah. especially their four-man group. But uh, I do think that the front seven is in a pretty good place. Even like the back – to be to weather this storm without Hayward and run defense, I, I feel like you almost have to take that. Like Monty Adams is leading your D-tackle room in snaps. Like, a couple of years ago, nobody wanted him. Like, And, and he's playing – solid football like you know Benton has come along Ogan Joby's playing well now that he's healthy again and so yeah I think you're getting good reps from people and you're getting guys that the standard the bar is not on the floor for this group and so I think that you're getting players that are consistently playing at a high level on the, up that front which has made a huge difference I mean that's kind of won them games like I mean you talk about sacks strip sacks things like that like over the last couple of years that's been instrumental and it was obviously again in this game down the stretch sack Lamar Jackson four times in this game lots of pressure throughout the game um on him thought Jackson actually handled that pretty well for most of the game but a lot of drops on those plays too so it, it's been i think the easily the biggest reason why the Steelers are 3 and 2 but we have to flip the script also and look at the other side of things which is is there a worse pairing of pass rush defensive line and secondary than what the Steelers have right now. I find it difficult to find a worse one around the league, Brad. This is a really dire situation in the Steelers secondary, I think. 
I mean, yeah, obviously we are all aboard the, you know, play Joy Porter Jr. more train, but that's also not a magic fix. I mean, defense in many ways is a weak link proposition. We talk about this all the time. I mean, look at the Washington Commanders. They have a great defensive line. I think Jamin Davis has played much better. Their safeties are good, but they have, outside of Kendall Fuller, they don't have a cornerback that can stop a nosebleed. And so they've been getting absolutely gashed in every single game. Because if you can pick on one player, like a Levi Wallace, like a Patrick Peterson, like look at the Raiders game. Like I thought they played pretty well, but Devonta Adams was going to win every single one-on-one he got. And that's why he had 15 catches on 20 you know, targets. So yeah, it, it's dire. And obviously the safeties outside of Minka, like you know, I was watching a little bit of Kazee before I came on and, and Keanu Neal. And like they both just have lost a step. Like it's not, I think them, unlike Patrick Peterson, we kept talking about his mental mistakes. I think they are doing what they're supposed to be doing, but they're just not capable of playing football at the level they once were, you know, back in the day. So, yeah, it's tough. It's tough. But my, the number one solution for me is, like, Joey Porter Jr. needs to play 60 snaps, not 25. And maybe Joey Porter Jr. is not good if he plays 60 snaps. I I, I mean, yeah. I can't say. Like, I don't know for sure. But I just know, like, it can't get much worse than this, and you have to have more upside in that. Like, he's learning on the fly, or he's able to make splash plays. I mean, this year – when he's been targeted, his passer rating is zero like this season. Like I'm not even a big passer rating guy, but like zero is pretty good. Like I'll take here's that. A, like, yeah, here's a non-passer rating. He's the lowest yards per, per, per target in the NFL. 0.17 yards allowed per target um, so far this season is the lowest yards per coverage snap. So that would include like targets to other players. Yeah. When he's on the field, like, like I think he has a 28% forced incompletion rate, which again, these are big numbers because he's only been targeted probably 10 times, but um yeah, on a small sample size, he's been very, very good. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash blue wire terms and conditions apply need to hire you need indeed hey it's kaylee cuoco for priceline ready to go to your happy place for a happy price well why didn't you say so just download the priceline app right now and save up to 60 percent on hotels so whether it's cousin kevin's kazoo concert in kansas city go kevin or becky's bachelorette bash in bermuda you never have to miss a trip ever again so download the priceline app today your savings are waiting Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. It just feels, yeah, I mean, like you said, small sample size, 86 snaps. I think it's been something, something like, like that. that yeah. Um, so, yeah, we don't know what it would look like if he played 60 snaps in a game. We don't know how different ways teams would attack him if they were preparing to face him, per se. Like, all those things are things we'd have to learn. But it just, like, the bar is literally on the floor. Like I said, it wasn't for the D-line group. And, like, pretty much even as you get down the depth chart, like, there are guys that can just play, period. And the bar's on the floor for this group. Like, it doesn't get worse. This is the worst corner tandem in the league, in my opinion, right now. Um, I mean, Patrick Peterson, Levi Wallace, 
what do they do well is becoming the struggle. They can't, they don't tackle. They don't even seem interested in tackling, to be honest. And and look, I'm going to throw Devontae KZ in this group too, because like, I just, what has he done? He hasn't done one thing since the season started, except in coverage, be a step too late to make any type of place yeah. in the ball. Like, yeah, he hangs back there as deep as you could possibly be at free safety. So he doesn't give up a touchdown. I, I'm sorry. Like, come on. Like, and they're doing this so they can get Minka closer to the box and Minka's a menace around the line of scrimmage. So I get it. I know why you want that. You think if you can create splash plays in that area, in that portion of the field that you can just live with whatever happens in the secondary. And maybe that's true. Maybe you just don't have a good option because you certainly don't have another safety on the roster that can play free safety. So I think that Casey doesn't look like he should be like out on an NFL field right now to me. Like he just seems like a guy who's like hanging in there for dear life. He doesn't want to fill and run support. He doesn't want to tackle in the open field. He like doesn't commit to anything. Like he just doesn't do anything. You watch the tape and you're like, you're not involved in anything, dude. Like when you see her that outs say like he's all over the field, like in this game, like he's everywhere. Like that's the opposite for Casey. Like he's the <laughs> furthest thing from that you could possibly be. He's nowhere. And so that's frustrating. Neil still has the desire to do all these yeah. things. Like you could see like with him, it's not an effort issue per se, but you mentioned it step slowly. Athleticism definitely gone. He's never been that great as like a single high coverage guy or a deep coverage guy. It's never really been like a playmaker role for him. He's always been kind of better when you get him closer to the line of scrimmage, especially since the injuries have hit. Um, and that just seems to have faded. Like there's not really like a lot of instinct in that regard. They don't need him in the box necessarily as much because Mink is better there than he is. And so it's hard for him to find a role that makes sense just in the NFL. I think that's been his big struggle. Dallas, Tampa Bay, like it was just hard. He, hard to put him in a role that made sense for him because he's just not quite instinctive enough or um, technical enough to be a linebacker, which is what you'd want him to be. But he's just way not, he's not athletic enough or, or technical enough to be really a defensive back either. So him is just really like a role issue to me. Like he might just be a special teamer at this point in his career. And that's if he wants to keep playing the NFL, that's what he needs to do. Whereas Casey, I just don't even understand like the point, but Casey's technically a better fit next to Minka. If you're going to put Minka closer to the line of scrimmage, they've been splitting time. So I don't know that any of this matters, but it's just like not having another safety that can play at an NFL level kills them too. So it's not just Peterson. It's not just Wallace, but it definitely starts with those guys. It brings us back to our question from last week. Like if all these guys are free agents next year, how many are on a roster on a, on a 53 next year? Like, I don't know that any of them are like Wallace potentially is like a fourth, fifth corner that can play teams. I could see that, but I don't know that any of them are, to be honest with you. The weird thing with safety, too, because, look, we're, we'll have conversations like this, and then I always, like, my job is basically to be a wet blanket on Twitter and tell you that a trade is not realistic or a signing is not going to happen. Like, that's effectively my role. But there are so many, like, solid veteran safeties they could probably give a phone call to. Like, Deron Harmon is a single high safety in, in Las Vegas last year. It was fine. Like, he can he, – he, he can – like you just said, because he's doing, he can stay in behind a play and make sure you don't score. And when he does come up and run support, I think he is willing to kind of just throw his body around a little bit, not a ton, but, but like guys like him, Rodney McLeod is, is in India, I think barely playing like, I mean, yeah, all these guys are 32 years old as well, but, but they are willing to try to make football plays. And, and I, I don't know, maybe they do get to a point where they make a move there. Um, obviously Desmond King will be interesting. I think we view him more as a Chan and Sullivan replacement, but he has some experience at safety as well. I would imagine you'd also want him more near, you know, down in the box as opposed to, you know, back deep in the deep third, but, but nevertheless, like they, they got to do something. And I think that is something I actually think is realistic is you go find a veteran, 
you know, that can sit back, you know, and just in center field and just kind of, you know, at least make a couple more plays than what we've seen from Kazee so far. Uh, I could definitely see them like getting out there in the market at some point and trying to make something happen um, because frankly, it's just so far below average with this group right now that I think even the Steelers will end up being like concerned enough about that to, to try and see what's out there, try and see if they can, whether it's signing or make a trade or something like that before the deadline. Um, I could see that happening. There are some names out there that like potentially for available that are, could be available. You mentioned Harmon. I think that one makes some sense for sure. Always been a really smart player. Uh, I know yeah. there's a, certainly a siloed role for him, but if you're going to play yes. make a closer line of scrimmage, like perhaps he feels like a part-time safety role. So you don't have to play KZ. They have always chased pedigree. The Steelers always have. Uh, I don't know that Jonathan Abram, to be honest with you, Jonathan Abram is someone that would be a very much a Mike Tomlin fit. I would guess, unless there's things about him. I don't know because he's not necessarily the smartest football player, but he flies around, hits people and he's an athlete, yeah. but he's not been very good in the NFL. Um, I don't know what exactly he would be the Keanu Neal replacement, probably more likely. Yeah. Um, that could be a direction they chase because again, they've always chased pedigree when, when they always look for the high round picks and, and he was a first rounder. So yeah, it could be some names out there just as I'm looking down the list. Um, you know, of players that have been pretty decent in their NFL careers. I don't know if Andrew Adams has been signed by anybody. I think he's only 30 years old. Maybe yeah. he's a Baca Titan for a long time. Can play in the box, can play free safety, had like a six pick year with the box. Always made plays. He's just a solid, good player can play special teams too. They need to kind of do something. It's not going to be perfect this year, but they need to probably do something. Like, I don't know that they can go the full season with these two guys at safety. Like there's going to be some games where this whole crew gets just totally screwed up by the other team. Like it's going to happen. And right now Minka is running around out there just trying to do everything. And it's really hurting him. Like he just like trying to get everybody right. You could see his body language, his frustration constantly with the play of everybody else. And, I just, yeah, there's just not, there's only so much he can do, but he just be the competitor that he is. I think like the blown assignments, especially frustrate him, you know, first play of the game, Pat Pete, like tries to just do a flip turn to stay with Zay Flowers. And he literally falls over on his face and like right in front of Minka and Minka's just like, I mean, it's just like, these guys can't play. Like they can't play. And Minka's like one of the smartest football players in the league. He knows this, he sees this and he's not going to be quiet about it either, which is what makes me think like eventually there's going to be some changes here. But you can't wholesale change. I mean, four of your five top players in this actually five of your top six players in the secondary because they're splitting time with two safeties right now. Five of your top six players in the secondary are straight up bad right now. That's not counting Joey Porter Jr. because we're talking about Shannon Sullivan being the nickel corner. And I know Porter played more in this game than any other game. Twenty eight snaps, forty percent of the snaps, I think. But Peterson still played ninety percent of the snaps. And uh, Wall still played 93% of the snaps in this game. And so you still, and Sullivan played, I forget how many, 20-something in, in the slot as well. And Peterson, I think, saw a couple more slot reps, but he really didn't see more slot reps, I don't think, than, than other games this year, like just in general. Like it was kind of right around average for him, I think, overall. So I don't know what the plan is moving forward. If it's try Peterson at safety, I don't necessarily yeah. love that idea. But, but if you're going to play make it close to the last scrimmage, Maybe you think like he's not going to tackle anybody. Let's just put him back to free safety and hope we don't need him to tackle anybody all game. Um, I guess that's the only trade-off I can think of, like is doing something like that. Perhaps you see if Elijah Riley can give you something. I think we already know James Pierre cannot. Like he's just he's not really going to be an upgrade either. And I don't see upside there with him. I don't think so. I'm willing to try crazy things, Brad, but this yeah. can't be the group they play with all year, right? No, I really can't. I really can't. It's funny. I was going to mention the Pat Pete thing because a couple of years ago he did say like I would 
play safety if a team wanted me to, if they think that's a better use of my skill set, whatever. Um, and maybe it's not the most far-fetched idea in the world. I mean, he said it himself. But, you know, it's not. It's not viable. But I think that is kind of the good, the good news. Like, you can find guys that you can hide in a defense. And obviously, that's these current players. But, like, guys that are can just be assignment sound and just be in the right place at the right time. Because even that bar is not being cleared right now, as you mentioned, with Minka yelling at people and misassignments, stuff like that. Like, finding a replacement level safety might be the easiest thing to find um you know just in terms of the market and availability like compared to it's the same as finding like a running back that can just give you a couple weeks like it's it's no different now corner that gets a little bit harder yeah at some point this is gonna have to be joey porter jr at one of these spots i don't know what you do at the other spot yet to me like they'll probably keep playing levi walls He's the the youngest. He's been viable in the past. He's never been ideal, but he's been viable in the past. As much as I think he's been terrible this season, he has actually made a couple plays at a certain point, and they do tend to gravitate toward, well, if you could be a playmaker, we'll keep you out there. Like, if you make a splash play every three games, like, we'll keep you out there. That has been how they've thought about things, going back to Antoine Blake and Nardi Burns, Valentino Blake, whatever he goes by at this point. But th- those guys were the pairing in the second or one point. And like, and, and it was the same thing with them. Like they were not good, but they would make a splash play every three games. And it was like, okay, well, we'll keep you out there. Um, and so, yeah, I, I think that that will, could be the process with Wallace. And so I think it's more likely you see Peterson in some type of a hybrid role moving forward a slot corner that doesn't want to tackle and can't tackle oh, is tough for me to imagine. Um, but I would love to see Desmond King maybe more. Like, why not? Yeah. Could he play outside too? He did last year. He did. He yeah. had some. Like, that could be an answer. I don't know that you're going to have a cornerback answer outside of the roster unless it comes via a trade before the deadline. And the, to me, this would have to be pretty good like record wise i think to get to that point where you're making a trade before the deadline it's hard to like predict them beating anyone but they their next four opponents are rams jaguars titans packers i don't mean that to say they can't beat anyone i just mean it's difficult to predict like oh they're gonna beat this like this team looks easy for them (laughs) like they should win this game like i don't know how to predict that for this team yeah no i mean uh vegas probably won't either so you know don't take it from us just based on the spread there yeah i mean the, to, the, to the trade point, I spent all morning, you know, I'm starting to work on trade deadline stuff. Like, there aren't, like, starting caliber upgrade corners available. Like, like I was even looking for guys that could be, like, CB3, outside cornerback threes. Like, if they're on a team, that team probably needs that player because of injury, and they're not going to part ways with him. Like, there just there just aren't options. So, it really is whatever you have on the, on the roster. If, you know, the Bills signed Josh Norman today, just so you know. Like, that's that's how bleak it is. Uh, across the NFL, that that's the best option available. That's so uh, for, crazy for a playoff team. <laughs> I can't. He played two games last year. I had no idea. Yeah. I looked it up today. I was like, he played last year. He was on a team. I had no idea he was on a team. Uh, and so, and I guess it wasn't pretty. Was, it, it was going to say, I'm sure it no. was not good. <laughs> he can't even move. I don't know what they're thinking there. Um, one other thing to consider, unless this changed, didn't the Steelers? Am I, uh, maybe I'm remembering that wrong. I thought. They signed Anthony Brown to the practice squad, but maybe they they released him from the practice squad. I remember yeah. that because I thought maybe he'd go back to Dallas after the Trevon Diggs injury. So yeah, he he must just be done because they okay. you know, yeah yeah because he was actually a player for a little while. I mean he, he yeah he was for a long time in Dallas, but he must be I don't know if it's injuries or whatever, but he must be cooked. Um, so yeah, 
uh, so there's nothing even lower down the depth chart either. Like somebody said on Twitter, like on Twitter, they were like, who uh, would have thought that uh, Corey Trice's injury would have hurt this much? I was like, okay, I have no idea if you're kidding or if you're serious. Cause Corey Trice was like maybe the last pick of the close to the last pick of the draft. But look, uh, yeah, I'll take it. <laughs> like, look, I, he play. fell that far because of a knee injury. He could play. That guy was a player in college. At least I thought so. I liked him too. I thought that was a wonderful pick in the seventh round. Yeah. I mean, obviously, you know, seventh rounder like acting like that would save the group is probably yeah, pretty, yeah. <laughs> pretty funny. Not but great. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, there's there's not that many options for corner unless unless Joey Porter Jr. is a stud because I don't think you're going to see Levi Wallace play like considerably better like uh, at this point. So um, it's going to be tough. It's going to be tough to put that group together. Basically, they went all in on these guys and said these can be our top six. And we'll bring Joey Porter Jr. along as our seventh uh, very slowly, and hopefully he doesn't have to play this year. And five of the six have been terrible, like not even okay, like terrible. So now and now you have to like count on Joey Porter Jr. And so they're in a much tougher situation than I think they'd like to be. Um, they'll come out of the bye, and perhaps they'll start Porter at that point. Um, they play the Rams out of the bye, which is a sure a game we'll talk a good bit about uh, next week uh, leading up to that. But – it's uh right now I think this group just where you see it the the tale of two different halves of the defense basically right now in the secondary and in the front and even how they've played the run versus how they've played the pass this year uh been night and day difference um they could be much worse against the pass if not for performance like this one missed throws by quarterbacks this season like they've like as you said success rate wise they've gotten lucky this season for sure to be three and two. And to be playing this poorly, pretty most of your roster be playing this poorly and coaching this poorly is unbelievable. So that will be the process that was under examination moving forward, right? Rams, Jaguars, Titans, Packers, Browns, Bengals. I don't know if there's gimmies in there. I know the Rams and Titans are down a little bit, but and the Packers from what they've been, but pretty comparable at worst <laughs> to the Steelers, you know, this season and stuff. Yeah, Titans probably the easiest on there just because, you know, the offensive line versus the Steelers defensive line should be a massive mismatch. But, like, Matthew Stafford's playing lights-out football so far this season. And, it, you know, if that team scores on you, you know, how many points can we predict in each game that the Steelers are actually going to put up on offense? Uh, you know, if it starts with a two, we're probably being generous. So, uh, <laughs> hey, we st- we started positive. There's There were a lot of good takeaways. Well, you mentioned the coaching. I do think, getting back to the linebacker conversation a little bit, I found it interesting, and maybe I just haven't noticed this before, but – the way they spied Lamar was almost like Holcomb was mugging the A or B gap. He was coming on, it was either a sim pressure or he actually came, but he wasn't really blitzing. He was just getting up to the offensive lineman, occupying him, and then stacking and shedding. And he made like three or four tackles. Uh, he did it. He did it like eight times, and 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 took Lamar down for either a modest gain or or a loss, like three or four times. Um, I thought that was just really good coaching. Where like instead of having him sit back and maybe take a second level window away from him make Lamar think he's coming and then really just be sitting there just kind of stacking and shutting offensive linemen. So that was great. Um, there, there was a lot of good here. There, there really was, but, but obviously we're always, you know, pragmatic. We're always, look, we're trying to think of a Super Bowl winner, not a, you know, week five winner. That, that's the goal here at Ed Ginn's no ball. Yeah. And you mentioned that they have played Lamar as a runner pretty well. Like that blown assignment aside on the, on the 26 yarder to, at the, near the beginning of the game, the first third down of the game, they have played him pretty well over the years as a runner. Like the Steelers have done a good job limiting him, Good job eliminating the damage, even as a scrambler. Like it seems like they've been they've they've played him very well over that time. And so I think that 
it's clearly a point of emphasis and they kind of design things within their defense to be able to counteract that, which other teams I think have taken as well, like, um, and, and, and implemented, uh, in their approach. And Holcomb was a big part of that in this game, as you mentioned. Um, I also think that taking away, like, especially in the second half, it felt like they took away a lot of where Lamar wanted to go with the football early in the progression. So he had to hold it a little bit longer, allowed the pass rush another second or so to get there, especially late in the game. Um, so they did fix some things and clean some things up. The first half was more of a, the Ravens are, can't believe they only have 10 points, like type of performance. The second half, they actually did tighten up some things defensively. And I think they didn't, the Ravens didn't move the ball quite the same way on them. And so they do deserve credit for that. Um, I do think they've consistently kind of out schemed whoever John Harbaugh's had at, at offensive coordinator. I don't know if I'd say that in this game, just because Todd Monken should add 28 points in the first half. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like it probably shouldn't yeah. have been close. Um, so I wouldn't say that in this game, but I did think they kept fighting and found some answers as the game went on. Um, which bodes pretty well moving forward, I think, for this team. I think one thing that stuck out to me, too, and again, the Niners are the Niners. They're, they're difficult for anyone to defend, but their screen package in week one also was just killing the Steelers. And I think you saw a couple times, and yes, Justice Hill is not Christian McCaffrey, but there was one play from Quan Alexander in particular. It was late in the game, too. It was about 12 minutes to go in the fourth quarter, um, and Quan kind of has a delayed blitz, comes up the middle, and he takes one – he has a free lane, and he's like, oh, my God, I'm about to like send Lamar Jackson in the next week. And he takes one step to the right towards Lamar, and then immediately at the corner of his eye, sees Justice Hill just leak to the side. I think it was like second and 16, so probably an obvious screen scenario. In one step, just completely changes direction and, and gets either a tackle for loss or just a pass breakup. But, like, there were a couple plays from those guys as well where, like, I think they realized, oh, it was a little bit too easy to get through the offensive line here. Probably because they don't, they're not trying to block me. Um, and, and made some nice plays against the screen game, which I don't think we saw in, in the first week. Yeah, I agree. And I, I think that in general, like the kind of the newbies to this defense, basically, of uh, like you know, outside of the corners, which we talked about, I've played pretty well. Like, I mean, whether you talk about rookies like Keanu Benton, I thought was awesome again in this game. Um, the three new linebackers, obviously, I think all played well, as I mentioned. Um, you know, Monty Adams isn't a newbie, but in terms of this level of play time, like for sure, like he hasn't been on the field this much for them, except for the end of his, like when he got picked up off waivers by the Steelers a couple of years ago, that when they had like nobody left health wise, he was playing, but this is kind of a new role for him to be playing. In. And he's not great, but he's certainly capable. If you're talking about a guy that's down the depth chart um, of playing at a high level, but the guy who really continued to stand out to me, though, was Benton. Again, like I just felt like this yep. is a player that before our eyes is just really figuring it out, Brad. Like he's he's going to be dangerous, I think, as a player. Like there's a lot in his bag. Um, he's starting to like play with really consistent technique, which is encouraging me. I, to me, that shows taking the coaching like really, really well. Even at Wisconsin, I feel like sometimes he just forget to use his hands or his hands would yep. be like out of control, not very nuanced. And he would kind of get turned at the point of attack. And he was too big to like mow down. It wasn't like he got driven all over the field, but there would be times where he just like lose control of the blocker. And then he would, wouldn't be able to get in on the play. And that's really like the way he's been able to control blockers in the NFL, using his hands, the one arm stabbed where he keeps guys off his frame and has one arm clean to make a tackle. Um, he two gapped on a play, a run play early in the game against the Ravens. I don't even know if he was supposed to. He just he was in his gap, and then he saw where the play was going and just tossed the blocker and went back to the opposite gap um, and made the play, helped make the tackle. Like some stuff like that that makes you think. Okay, like I wonder, could he play the nose? Could he play? I think he could play everyone on the D line, which gives you a ton of 
advantages because in base he can be out there in different alignments. Like Stefan Tuit played like an uphill attacking aggressive style. People I've I've seen this like people talking about is Ben the next to it. They're both like huge in the same way. Like was the like big, long, strong, quick. But the style of play is different. Like Benton isn't really a quick trigger, shoot a gap type of player. Uh, he's more of a like stack the line of scrimmage, shed a block, make a play type of player. Um, so they're different in kind of the ways that they win a little bit. And maybe Benton will add some of that to his game. Um, but been the best defensive lineman I think that that Ham that uh, Hayward has played with since to it. Uh, was at his peak basically, um, which that was one of the best duos in the league. I felt like at that point, so pretty exciting. The Pittsburgh's gonna have another guy like that to go with Highsmith and Watt, and what hopefully Hayward can get back on the field here soon, uh, which is another part of this thing we should talk about. But that to me is really exciting because I think he looks like one of the best players in this draft. Yeah, absolutely. No, the hand the hand usage was what stuck out to me as well. There was one run tackle where he's holding the left guard, like, in his right hand, like you said, and then just one-arm tackles. I think it was – I don't know if it was Gus Edwards or Justice Hill, but there were a couple of those. And then, like you said, I mean, he's not shooting gaps necessarily, but I do think he's getting upfield and getting in position to then read and react and maybe two-gap and, and mm-hmm. some of those things. Like, there's also the hand usage, but also I think – what he like, I think he knows what his plan is on, on a lot of snaps and isn't just kind of running wild. And like we talked about, he's a former wrestler, like, new to football – like I think he's definitely taken to coaching because he looks a little bit more nuanced than than I like. I liked him coming out. I know you weren't the biggest fan, um, but I thought he was going to be a project. Like I, I was like, yeah, he'll be good in twenty twenty four. Was kind of what I thought about him, um, and, and that is certainly not the case. He, he's already an impact player. Yeah, he. I think, and Ollie and I uh, in a couple of days are going to do our like rookie looking over on the Audibles and Analytics podcast. We're going to like kind of look at all the rookies and talk about them so far compared to our expectations. I would say like we're obviously five games in. So I would say five games in, like the five games in sample size, he looks like one of my bigger misses as a defensive line analyst, probably in a long time. Like I honestly like have terrible at some positions, but I don't miss too often on defensive line. And I wouldn't, it wasn't even like super low on him, but um, I think I had a third round grade on him. I don't think it was lower than that, but, um, but I just didn't really feel like he was going to be like a high impact player. Now I've like, seeing him in the NFL. Like, I just feel like I'm going to be wrong on that. Like when push comes to shove, because there's just been too much good on the tape that I've seen so far um, and too much technical development already at a really fast rate. So that one does look like it's going to go against, which I'm thrilled about. Uh, it's going to go against like yeah. what I thought got a pre-draft, which is exciting, but there's just, yeah, there's a, a lot of good on his tape. And I think that um, already you're seeing him. This was the, the most snaps he's played in the game. Was it 33 snaps? I think he played. I'm like that. Yeah. I'm like that. Yeah. So uh, most snaps he's playing the game. So you're starting to see like little by little, like they're adding to the plate of some of these guys, um, you know, 47% of the snaps for him. Yeah. That was a career high mark for Benton. So getting to that point, Monty Adams, like I said, still played the most 80% of the snaps, 80% of the snaps, by the way, Brad, for Montrevious Adams. Yeah. Yeah. First of all, he should be playing that, but shout out to his conditioning. Cause you watch the guy play, like he does not take a snap off like he plays every like if it's a pass he just sprints fully down the field like very Cam Hayward-esque in that way obviously Ogan Joby made a play that way um yeah stripping the ball like very much all off of Hayward's example like nobody has done that more in the NFL like than Hayward since he joined uh since he became a Steeler and got into the rotation like he just exemplifies that kind of stuff conditioning is just totally off the charts and Monty Adams I mean to play 80 percent of snaps like pretty impressive for a guy that big. No, it absolutely is. I mean, yeah, he was like in Green Bay, he couldn't even crack. I mean, the like the players they had opposite Kenny Clark were like guys that aren't in the NFL anymore, and he couldn't really get 
get in the mix, but like I, it's probably a big part of it. It's just getting in extremely good shape and being able to, you know, even if you're not going to win one-on-one matchups, but just having those, those pursuit plays, those effort plays. I wanted to highlight one last uh, a rookie out of Wisconsin, not named Keanu Benton. Um, you know, Nick Herbig obviously working into the fold. I do think, like, I like Marcus Golden, but I think we'll see at a point if maybe they want to work Herbig in a little more. So one play of his that stuck out to me, because this is what I didn't like about him coming out of college. Um, it was a pass rush, second quarter, six minutes and 20 seconds. If anyone wants to go watch this. So he's rushing from the right side, and Patrick Ricard is lined up as kind of just like a eh, pseudo inline, maybe more of an H-back, I don't remember. Anyway. He's on that side and Herbig gets off the edge and he has, I think every rookie edge rusher that I've ever seen would have bounced outside on this play and get around Ricard. And Kevin Zeitler is also pulling from right guard coming around to block him. He goes Mm -hmm. inside and occupies both players. Like he he takes a hard jab inside, occupies both players because you have a Landon Roberts and or Cole Holcomb waiting for the C gap on the outside. If he went outside, I think Gus Edwards would have had 20 yards. Like it was, but I, the instinct I've seen from rookie edge rushers is, oh, I'm going to win my rep. I'm going to get on the outside. Yeah. And this guy, I mean, the running back would have been gone, but he plugged up a hole with two players. So then the, the running back then bounced it outside. There were two linebackers waiting right there. It was no game, but it was like, for me, a play where nothing in the statue, nothing in the box score, but I was like, he he just got, he should get, get a tackle for loss for this play because it was, he made the entire play by himself. Yeah, dude, like that that kind of stuff from the young guys is exciting. Like when you see that with Benton and Porter and Herbig in this game, we'll talk about Broderick Jones more tomorrow, I think. But there's just a lot of exciting stuff like with this group, with this draft class. I mean, I think everybody was excited in preseason. Then it was a little bit slower to start the regular season. And now you're starting to see that catch up a little bit, which I, I think it's pretty exciting. I think that they hit on a really good class. And I wasn't crazy. The Broderick Jones pick will obviously be a big driving factor in this. And I think he played pretty well in this game, but I'm still uh, waiting to look at the offensive tape. I know that uh, PFF, y'all graded him pretty pretty well, which is encouraging. Um, so I, I am anxious to see how that pick works out. I didn't think he was very good in his first action the other day. Like We'll kind of see how this thing sorts itself out. He's got all the talent in the world. Christian is also sitting right there and I wanted him real bad. So it, it is kind of going to be that, like that juggling match. I think a little bit with this, like if trying to wait to weigh enough time to, for the, when these guys have to develop so we can, we can make those calls. And obviously it'll, a lot of it will come down to that and how Porter plays in a bigger role as to whether we remember this draft class as a really good one or just one that had some late round steals. But I feel pretty confident saying Benton's going to be a stud and a big part of the solution here. Like I'd be shocked if that doesn't happen. I don't feel confident about that with Porter yet, just because the sample size is still so small and corner is such a fluid thing, right? You get a certain matchup, a certain scheme, like certain types of players get exposed. You all of a sudden you're struggling. Like it's a mental thing. Like everybody gets beat. When does an avalanche, you know, it's a little bit harder of a position. You could kind of watch an offensive and defensive lineman play and like, after two or three games in the NFL, no, like, yeah, they're going to be good. Like, they might get, they might be bad and then get better. That's possible. But if they're good, like, in their first couple of games in the NFL, you're just kind of like, oh, yeah, they're probably going to be good. Like, it rarely does it like, oh, they play great and now they just totally fall off a cliff. Like, it's not as, uh, context variant of a situation as like some of those other positions because you're engaged to every play, right? Like, you, you're, you're involved every play where that's not the, the case at corner. And so, I feel really good about Benton. I am hoping the Jones and Porter get there as well. Uh, and we'll see with Washington and some guys like that. But overall, like certainly you have to be excited about the returns from the draft class, you know, five weeks into the season. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. 
Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Absolutely. No, for sure. It's early. And like you said, I mean, obviously not playing Joey, they, they see him in practice every day. They're probably trying to protect him and shield him to a degree, uh, build his confidence, which I'm sure is at an all-time high right now. There's probably plenty of good to it. If the, if the corners were starting were solid, you and I probably wouldn't be asking for him to start. We'd be like, yeah, stay patient. You had the 100%. plan. You've known the kid since he was born. Like, like we're not saying we know better than you, but but that's part of the, the you know the the argument is that what they have right now is not viable. But but yeah, it's a fun class, and and hopefully yeah, Broderick. I I also haven't watched offense, but he did grade well, so uh, we'll we'll definitely get into that uh, tomorrow. Before we wrap up this show, let's just touch real quickly on Highsmith and Watt uh, in this game because they're kind of like the closers for this team. Uh, I think I saw Highsmith is tied for the second most fourth quarter sacks in the NFL since the beginning of last season, I believe I saw. Um, and again, he closes it with a strip sack, beats Ronnie Stanley, um, beat him pretty much all game, to be honest. Like in the first half, I'm not one to like, and I didn't tweet anything about this, but I had said, was saying to Britt as we were watching the game, I was like, uh, are they gonna call a holding on on Staley because Highsmith is beating him pretty badly and they're not calling it? And it was pretty egregious. Like normally situations where you normally see them call a hold, and it was kind of like to me like there was enough of those reps that I was like I can't believe they haven't called one of these. Like right, that was the right. surprising thing to me because usually you see that happen. But again, like I, I I'd rather not live or die that way. But it was just kind of a thing like. You could see early on, like Highsmith's process is good. Like he's figured out how to beat Stanley. And even if he wasn't quite getting home, he just missed sacks on several occasions. If he wasn't quite getting home or it looked like he was kind of drawing some holds that should have generated some interest from the officials, you could see the process was really good. And then obviously beats him at the end of the game. I think it was like a leaping cross chop, uh, one of my favorite moves, and into a shoulder dip. And then he wins the edge and um, strips the ball. He's become just such a good all around pass rusher. Like I think I talked about this in the last podcast with you, but the bag is just so deep and he got pressure in this game and a couple, he had a sack actually that was called back because of a defensive penalty um, in this game before the strip sack um, where he came on a twist and he is beating guards like really good. Like he, one of the things he's gotten really good at this season is like swiveling his hips. I think surface area is like a huge part of brush, rushing the passer. If you can limit your surface area or make yourself harder for players to land like a direct blow on you, then you uh, the chance of getting locked up becomes a lot slimmer. You may not win or you may not always create like the best angle for yourself, but you keep yourself free to be able to chase down and things like that as a rusher. So his ability just kind of swivel his hips and swivel his upper body side to side so that he can avoid taking a direct shot from somebody has allowed him to become a lot more slippery. And so he just kind of found every way to maximize the fact that he isn't like this bendy freak or this super explosive dude. Like he, he isn't, you know, Watt has one of the best get offs in the league every year by next gen stats. Like he obviously wins primarily at the top of the arc. Uh, he bends his way to the pocket. Um, that is what he does. Like he runs under contact. He ghost moves. He rips through guys. He's got a ton of strength. His legs are just made out of steel. Like, but almost all of Watt sacks like look the same pretty much. Like, right. I've lamented like if he had an inside counter, like, and he does occasionally, but if he had that, he'd be unstoppable. Everybody thinks he's going to rush the edge on every play. Um, so he, you know, Heisman is kind of like the opposite. Like he just has this 
deep, deep bag of tricks. Like, and you'll see him pull out the spin two or three times a game. Um, and he wins with it really, really effectively. Um, he just had, kind of has all this full arsenal and he's, uh, it's a, it's a mind game in some ways. He's like, he is very much like an artist as a pass rusher. Um, and so it's very enjoyable to watch him on a snap to snap basis, but what he's become opposite TJ Watt, it really is like winning game. Like it shows you how important that position is that the Steelers can have all these other weaknesses be completely reprehensible on the offensive side of the ball, be at times just coached in a way that makes you lose your mind. And the impact of those two players, not just on plays where they get pressures, but how much attention offenses have to, I mean, TJ Watt's getting hit by two players almost every play. It's crazy. And Highsmith is starting to get that kind of interest too. So it's changing structures of how you're attacked and how many people are out in the route tree, all those kinds of things. It really is amazing the impact that those two players being as good as they are have had on the defense. I mean, they probably won the Cleveland game and this game. <laughs> like, it's like crazy. I don't think it's hyperbolic to say. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah, like. I mean, yeah. that and, and obviously some bounces, I guess, too. <laughs> like, I mean, well, yeah, yeah. But it, it really is. It's it's crazy. Like, in terms of pro- parts of the process you can control, yeah, they've been the most impactful parts. And so Watt had two sacks in this game. And, and Watt, I've talked a lot about his game. Like, I, you know, there's obviously been this stigma this season. Like, is he as good as Miles Garrett and Micah Parsons? And um, mainly those two, I think everybody else. Nick Bosa, maybe, I think, too, maybe. Bosa, yeah. yeah, I guess I yeah. uh, how you sort those four would be fascinating. It's something we could probably talk about on this pod at some point. Um, I am very curious to see how it sorts out this season because to me, like they're all clearly in the same tier. Like I don't think anybody shouldn't be in that tier, and I don't know how anybody would say that they shouldn't all be in the right. same. Tier. I agree. That part to me is clear. How you parse them in that tier, I think, would is a fascinating discussion. But I think you, if you can't start from the context, of, like from the point of they all need to be in the same tier to start. Then I do think we've maybe need to watch whoever you take out of that tier a little bit more because I've watched almost all their snaps in the NFL for all those guys because that's the position I, I love watching the most. And like I just feel very confident saying that like all four of those guys can absolutely completely wreck and change a game. Um, and there's nuances within that discussion. So that could be a good off-season pod for yeah. us to discuss and talk about these things with another season of sample size. But what eight sacks so far through five games, best rate in Steeler history. He's he tied the record before. Like, can he can he get all the way there this time? Like it's the extra game, right? Didn't he do it before? Was a 17 game season? Well, let's let me check. I can't remember which season. Or was it, was it the deep. first? Was it the first seventeen game season in twenty twenty one? That's right. He has to do it in sixteen for it to be real, huh? Yeah. For well, or twenty two and a like, half. No, he did it in fifteen games. He missed a game in twenty twenty one or two. There right? you go. What yeah, year two, did this? I, guess. Did I this think one? it was twenty twenty one. Was the first year? Okay. I could be wrong though. So he missed two games, and he twenty two and a half. Still got sacks. it. So he tied there. I mean, he de- he definitely could do it because I mean. We'll see. Like the one thing that would help him, which is funny, is like if they were actually had a big lead on opponents and they, they he could pin his ears back and just rush. Um, but I yeah, and if it's a one score game, they can still do that. But like imagine if he had a you know a two score lead and, and teams were dropping back eighty percent of the time, he would he, he, he never would have has more opportunities. Yeah. It's unbelievable. I mean he, yeah, he I mean he, like Nick Bosa gets to just like from the second quarter on, he knows he doesn't have to run defend at all. <laughs> like <laughs> This is the kind of nuance we need in these discussions, exactly. though, because it is exactly. a huge part of it. Like, there's just yeah. all these things to think about uh, as it relates to these guys, which is fascinating. But oh man, that's funny. Like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, 
it is interesting even to think about the games of the players because like Miles Garrett, yeah, he could he could bull rush you. Like he is a bull rush for sure. He can high side rush you. You're not gonna see him like spin counter too often. I don't feel like not a ton. Like, yeah, but he could he could still beat you inside because he can he can he has that he has that bull rush. What has used the bull rush? Some people that say that I think are sleeping on that fact that he has he has used that at times. That has been effective for him. The bottom line is like nobody can stop him on his one move, so it's just like right. hard to go. Double away from well, him. Yeah, just do it. <laughs> yeah. If you ever hear him talk about pass rush, that's what he talks about too. He's like, I play on left side because I don't think anybody can stop me on that side, and like I don't want to move around because like look, my results speak for himself. And you're like, I wish you'd move around because I think you got thirty sacks. <laughs> <But I, laughs> yeah, yeah, I can't yeah. really argue with you. Like, yeah. Um, so yeah, in this game should be noted, uh, no Morgan Moses for the Ravens. Patrick Mercari goes down. So they're on was a Daniel Falele was in there, I think. Yep. Um yep. I don't even know if it was, you know, what context contextually, I don't know if that would have mattered on his sacks, to be honest. Like he I don't think so. On either yeah, one. So, I really don't. Yeah, like, I don't either. It just kind of was like such a decisive, yeah. But anyway, yeah. um, and he's had tons of success saying the Moses too, it should be noted. But that'll be brought up when it comes to the context of his situation. Perhaps most ridiculous about TJ Watt though. Is twenty five forced fumbles since he's been in the league? It's nuts. It's that nuts. Even and the interceptions too. Like it, yeah, yeah, like those the forced fumbles though. Obviously, a lot of them are strip sacks, but or like probably the vast majority. But it's still you just I guess expect volume if you're going to get that many sacks. You're going to get a lot of you know strip sacks and forced fumbles. But it is it is an insane number, no question about it. In fact, it has me curious. What's the what do you think the most forced fumbles in NFL history are? In a season or ever, like overall, uh, ever, like overall, by a player, I would say like like low forties, high thirties. Like I know because I know I'm you know, obviously I'm a Chicago guy. Peanut Tillman, I want to say had like thirty seven or thirty nine, and I know he's like top ten all time. I want to say, yeah, you're right about that. Uh, Peanut Tillman forced forty four fumbles. Forty four, forty four. He okay. is yeah. fifth all time. Yeah, legend. Yeah, Watt is at twenty five. Wow, and. <laughs> yeah, so what is on he's on the list. He's he might be inside the top 20. There's no numbering on this order. I'm not gonna count them all, but he's pretty close to being on the top of the list. Yeah, if he gets you know, uh he could he has a chance to get in the top 10 here, but yeah, the number one is Robert Mathis with 52. So Watt is about halfway to that number. 52 is insane. That's insane. Yeah, he's halfway there and he's had like a lot of good years. That I, I'm surprised. I was gonna say maybe it's harder for edge rushers, but Robert Mathis is way out our defensive lineman, period. Um, but but Mathis is way up. There. I yeah. figured like safeties and linebackers maybe could just you know have a million punch outs like like Peanut. But Mathis fifty two, Peppers fifty one, oh, Freeney sure. forty seven, John Abraham forty six. Those are your top four. Then Tillman, then Jason Taylor, Terrell Suggs, Demarcus Ware, OC, okay. Maria, Jailer Jones, uh, James Harrison, Tom Lee, Leonard Little, Robert Quinn, Jared Allen, Cliff Averill, all the way down to Brian Dawkins with 28. So it's all edge rushers pretty much. James Harrison, for how little he played compared to those guys, is pretty nuts. Like, those guys probably played 5,000 more snaps than him in their career. Probably true, yeah. It doesn't have snaps here in his games. So obviously, he played a lot of games because he was a special right, teamer right. forever. But yeah, that is a great point. And Leonard Little, 121 <laughs> games, he did 32. That's a pretty impressive mark as well. We're going down uh, football uh, memory. Yeah, exactly. Now we're just, yeah. <laughs> we're talking Julius Peppers and Tra- I'm going to start talking about the the 2006 Bears if we don't if we don't get off here. Yeah, in that's a hurry. true. Oh, <laughs> uh, Julius Peppers, one of the one of the he doesn't get talked about enough. What a great one he, he is, does not. Legend. Yeah, but just you're right in general. Like impact overall, Watt has in the game. We consistently see it. He almost had another pick in this game where he jumped up yep. and grabbed the ball. That's like his specialty. Um, almost did that again. 41 passes defensed. 
over the course of his career. <laughs> yes, it that's dude, an insane it's, number for an edge rusher. That does <laughs> like, make that's, sense, dude. That's an insane that is number. Absolutely nuts. Yeah. Uh, but that's he already is four this season. Um, yeah, he's probably going to break his own. His personal best is eight in he's 2019. Yeah, the year he had eight forced fumbles as well, by the way. Jesus um, Christ. So, <laughs> it's completely insane. Um, so, yeah, Good chance player. to be defensive player of the year again, perhaps. Yeah, he's definitely in the mix. <laughs> yeah. All three of the last seasons he's been healthy. He has finished uh, third, second, and first in 2021. So, will be very interesting to see how that shakes up. But he is certainly playing at that level so far. Last thing I'll say some reason for optimism with this team is just getting guys back from injury. Like, I think that's a big part of this, like uh, getting Cam Hayward back from injury when you could put Hayward Benton and Ogan Joby and Watt and Highsmith into top five, you'll get Marcus Golden in the mix. You are so right, Brad, when you say, and that's something I haven't thought about, like this team just is never able to play with a lead and what kind of impact that has. Uh, Watt and Highsmith played like 86%, 87% uh, to them at snaps in this game. Um, that is a tough mark to sustain. But again, if you are not in obvious passer situation where you can rotate guys in a seat fresh, it's a very hard spot to be, and you can't get those other guys on the field as much. And so Marcus Golden I, is only a pass rusher. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, like, it, like, yeah. It's just, <laughs> it is. It's frustrating um, because you can never be in that situation with this offense. And we'll talk more about the offense tomorrow. We'll get into some more of that. But yeah, overall, like there were a lot of things to clean up, but I did think the defense improved in the second half, and there is starting to become a unit you can hang your hat on which is exciting moving forward. I think there's some reason to be optimistic that this front could, the best football for this front could be, including the linebackers could be ahead of them this season, which is, which is pretty cool. I mean, you add in a Cam Cam Hayward now with this version of Keanu Benton, like I'm almost sitting here like, "Ah, I wish we saw them play together more. Like that's going to be, I mean, that, that front four might be the best in football when it's all four of those guys healthy. I mean, mean, there's, there's some contenders in the mix there, but like top to bottom, like, yeah, it's it's in the conversation. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you, you genuinely have three guys that can make the pro bowl and the guy that could be in a conversation for, I don't know, statistically probably won't be, but you know how these things go with defensive player of the year. Like a D tackle is probably not going to win it (laughs) unless he has crazy numbers, but yeah, performance wise, you know what, from what PFF will measure, for example, where you guys don't care about that stuff as much. You just care about like who's played well on a regular basis, like could be in that conversation for you guys defensively. And and you have you know, guys, three guys who can play at a Pro Bowl level. So, yeah, it is. It's definitely in the conversation for best defensive line of football. If Hayward comes back healthy and is the same player, Watt came back last year, was not healthy. Like he was playing through it and just looked like a shell of himself. And obviously this year back to dominance. And so that will be a key for them. I think this season, if they can keep that group all on the field together, um, playing at a high level. So should be fun. Hopefully they get a lead sometime. We can watch a pin their ears yeah. back. That would be, <laughs> that'd be a blast. Not going to hold my breath, but uh, we'll be back no. tomorrow. We're going to talk about the offense. Going to get into Broderick Jones. Did he play well? Did he not? What did he do? Well, what can he do better? Nate Herbig. Did he play well? Did he not? What can he do better? Can he pick it? Did he figure out something or does he just have a clutch gene? Is he an adrenaline junkie? It thrives <laughs> off of late game situations in which he has to stand on his head for his team to win. Did he call the play that Matt Canada had no reaction to? He did not. We'll talk about it tomorrow. <laughs> we'll talk about it tomorrow on the podcast. Thanks so much for all for listening to Yen Snowball. By the way, subscribe, rate, review, share the podcast with other people. Really appreciated the gush that came out from that for the first uh, week that we did the podcast. A bunch of y'all jumped on that. It was great. We appreciate it. if y'all keep that up, keep sharing it, uh, keep putting it out there for people. We love it. Uh, that hearing that kind of feedback, seeing the reviews has been great. Um, y'all are are terrific to take the time to do that. And we ask that you continue to 
do that as much as possible really helps us out. So until then, thanks so much for listening to another edition of the Yin's No Ball podcast. Talk to you tomorrow. I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.